Welcome to the First Pres Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.20, 9.45, and 11.10. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Amen. We'll open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> I want to greet our, uh, our worshipers in the Aspen Room this morning. So glad that you're here worshiping with us. And as together we look again to the beginning of the 2 Corinthians, the letter, second letter to Corinth. We're working on this idea of the church as a movement. And I'm not sure how, how well I'm doing at getting it across, to be honest. We're, we're working on this idea. I hope you're catching the sense of dynamism that we're not just static, we're not just sitting in one place. The church is on the move, the church has an agenda. God has an agenda for the church. So we've talked about bringing comfort to the afflicted, bringing deliverance to captives, bringing promise to hopeless, and today bringing forgiveness to the ashamed. Maybe there's one thing that would, would prick each of our consciences. I think to summarize this series, I think really it comes down to this. Every Christian believer take one step forward to Jesus. One step forward. Whatever compels you and drives you. And if you will walk forward to Jesus, I can go too because we're one body. But if none of us will go, then we can't go alone. Let's look today at 2 Corinthians chapter, one, uh, chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 as we continue on. Hear now the word of the Lord. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you, for if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now. Instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. Lord, we pray that you would soften our hearts to receive your word, to understand well, and to walk forward towards you in the power of your love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I spent the first part of the month in Egypt with our mission team. And let me tell you, the word forgiveness rings a little bit louder over there. It, uh, it means a little bit something more. I wound up preaching five times to five different churches, many of them meeting in areas known 
for strong Islamic extremism. They risk uh, their lives to gather. Our partner church there seems to have uh, the call of God, the conviction, if we're going to light a light, if we're going to plant a church, let's light it in the place of deep darkness. These churches gather with courage, and, um, and I wanted to encourage them, and I talked about having the courage to forgive. At least I think that's what I was preaching about. Um, Eddie Yasa, a friend, member here in the church, Egyptian board, was my translator. I really have no idea what he was saying. But I was saying, I hope you have the courage to forgive. I was scared to do it, honestly. What do you say in front of a group like that? You remember um, in December, a bomb went off in the women's and children's section of St. Mark's Cathedral, a Coptic Christian church in downtown Cairo. 25 were killed. Imagine that happening. God forbid, in our city. And you want to talk about forgiveness? But every time the, the church in Egypt is attacked, every time the Christian minority is attacked, the leaders over there speak of forgiveness. And when they do, they put Jesus on display in a way that shines so brightly that all can see. And people can't believe it. It doesn't make any sense. How can you talk about forgiveness? Rise up in rage. No, they they talk about forgiveness. There's something about Christian forgiveness that gives veracity to the Bible, to the gospel. It makes it ring true. It's believable, more believable, because it's such a foreign power. Where does it come from? It has to intersect vertically from above. It's alien to our regular run-of-the-mill life. So it helps people to see God. So I wanted to encourage the Egyptian Christians I told them, you're on the world stage right now. Everyone is looking to you, and you are demonstrating the very nature of Christ for all to see. But it's not just overseas on the borderlands of Christianity and Islamic terrorism. It's here too. Remember the the, uh, Amish schoolhouse shooting a few years ago and the profound impact of the Christian witness there. Remember the the shooting in Charleston in 2015 at Manuel AME Church. The family said, of course we're hurt, of course we grieve, but we want forgiveness and we want Jesus to be on display. But even in our day-to-day lives, Christians, as we find the power to forgive, as you find the otherworldly, supernatural power to forgive those who have wronged you in your own life, every time we do, we become a sign, a, a symbol, a cipher, revealing that there is another kingdom. There is a kingdom of God. And we disclose that reality. Well, we re-enter the story in Corinth this morning at a critical junction. You could probably tell we're in the middle of something And we need a little help to understand exactly what is going on here. 
And what we read here is actually the end, we think, of a long and tumultuous episode. We're not exactly certain, but over the history of the church, it is commonly assumed that this passage is the end of the story of the man we can read about in 1 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6, which I encourage you to go back and read this afternoon before you get back in your car and come back to the annual meeting. But to summarize it, and maybe you're familiar, there is a man in the church who took up with his own stepmother in a romantic way. Now this was not only outside of God's plan for healthy family and marriage, but frankly, it was even offensive to the Corinthian culture, which was a hard culture to offend. This was a libertine city, anything goes, but not this. So Paul was upset about that, but even more upsetting to him was that the leadership of the church seemed to be boasting about it. They were proud of it. They were teaching the church, here's a perfect example of the freedoms of Christ. You can do anything now. Everything is permitted. In the end, you'll still be forgiven and come into the kingdom. It was an easy gospel to preach to Corinth. It was a cheap grace. Good news, you can do whatever you like. It was a ticklish situation to be sure. Of course there's no sin beyond the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. Of course we are all sinners and we all are in need of grace. Of course any who call on the Lord in true faith and repentance of sin will be redeemed. There's no sin beyond what Christ has paid for on the cross and there's no need to behave our way into the presence of Christ. There's no need to walk in shame and embarrassment before the Lord, but, but can you see how the good news was getting twisted in the Corinthian church? All of a sudden, the leaders were encouraging the people to actually strive for the wrong path, to revel in the disobedient way, to celebrate deviance from God's law, from God's word. So Paul has to explain, this is not what was meant by the gospel of grace. All things are forgiven, sure, but not all things will benefit you. Not all things will lead to life. Some things you do will wind up hurting you, hurting others. God's word, God's way, God's truth, they are not to be left behind in the new life with Christ. Grace and truth, they walk hand in hand. Now, Paul did not want the church to begin walking around Corinth passing judgment on all their decisions. In fact, this is such a critical point to understand. Ultimately, Paul said, we have nothing to say about what the Corinthians do. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? But in here, in the body of Christ, We're going to understand holiness. We're going to repent of sin. We're going to confess where we go wrong. We're going to be saved by grace. And we're going to encourage one another to live God's best and find the fullness of life. Amen? That meant that Paul uh, had to encourage the leadership of the church to correct this man 
not celebrate him for sleeping with his father's wife. Hard business. And Paul took a lot of heat for it. But now it was finished, it was done. And now we fast forward about two years or so and apparently the corrected man has come to a healthy mindset about it all. He has turned, repented in some way or other and he is ready to feel at home again in the church. Praise God for that. How long and painful these peregrinations can be away from God. How hard it can be for parents to watch as their children run away from the Lord and they have to watch and wait with anxious prayers. How hard it is when our friends run from God. But this man returned. And now there's another problem. The church doesn't know what to do with them. The source of all these leadership scrambles and hard conversations and late night sessions with the elders and parking lot conversations and all that, you know? Well, the source of all of that, the lightning rod, the one about whom all of this pain uh, was, by whom all this pain was caused, now he's back. What are we supposed to do? Do we let him in? And here we learn or we are reminded of the purpose of the whole thing, the purpose of leadership standing for the truth and calling for repentance. This whole episode was never about punishment or retribution or meanness. It was about making things better. It was about making his life better and making the church better. And the only way to finish the process is to close the loop and restore this man to full fellowship, love, and acceptance in the church body. Shouldn't we keep this guy out? Don't you remember it was only a couple of years ago he caused all that problem. Should we keep him out? Should we send him packing forever? Paul writes, verses six through eight, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, reaffirm your love for him. It's over. It's over. It's time to come home. That's the first point. No matter how far you have gone from the Lord, No matter how far your neighbor, the one you love, seems to be away from from the Lord, you can always come home. You can always come home. This is a house of forgiveness. But it wasn't just for his benefit. It wasn't just for him, the restored one. This forgiveness and restoration was not only for him. It had to be done for the benefit of the whole church. See, unless the circle is closed and the corrected man comes home to the love and fellowship of the church and the church restores him and forgives him and comforts him and never looks back again at his missteps, unless all of that happens, then the church itself is in jeopardy. 
See, this man is not an outsider. He's not just another man of the city, another Corinthian citizen. This man is a believer, a child of God, saved by faith in Jesus Christ. This man is a brother in the eternal household of faith, no matter his mistakes. And so long as he is suffering outside of the body, as long as he is separated from the body, then the body itself is suffering. Here's what Pastor Kent Hughes writes. For Paul, the church was not a club offering trial memberships. And the body of Christ was not a churchy slogan. They were a community of brothers and sisters with radical interconnected relationships. For Paul, the church was central to Christian existence. He never conceived of Christians living apart from the visible church. Rather, Christians lived in such profound relationship that the pain of one was truly felt by all. Isn't this what Paul wrote the first time he wrote to Corinth? 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Now here's the test. What kind of body is the church? Just how far does the forgiveness of Jesus go in this body of Christ? Does the body tolerate disintegration? Does the body tolerate members getting thrown far away and not being restored? What kind of body is this. I want you to get this now. You see, it wasn't just forgive and restore this fallen brother because who knows, but you might be in a similar situation one day. Even though that's true, that's not the message. The message is forgive and restore this repentant brother because the pain he feels is your pain. Forgive and restore this repentant brother because if he hurts, you hurt. You are one body. Forgive and restore this fallen brother because that is what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. Standing for truth and dispensing grace and being whole. Linger any longer in the position of judgment and the church runs the risk of relishing the position of holier than thou. (laughs) And we know that that sort of thing, that sort of spiritual pride is exactly what Satan, the deceiver, the divider can use to absolutely destroy the church and its witness in the world. And as we, it says, we are not unaware of his schemes. See, part of the body is hurting and we all hurt until it's healed. But when the circle closes and the man is restored, what a beautiful story it all becomes. The worst chapter, the worst chapter becomes the most profound moment. The great trial becomes a great triumph. The great test becomes a great testimony. And this church, this little church in Corinth, once threatened 
to come apart at the seams is now again the body of Christ, disclosing the character of Christ, whom we have seen full of grace and truth. Forgiveness is always possible. Forgiveness characterizes the church. This is a house of of worship, a house in awe of the holiness of God. This is a house of grace and restoration where sinners can be redeemed again and again and again. Do you see, this is not a place to, to, to whitewash error, to encourage ungodliness, to celebrate or bless patterns of life that fly in the face of God's word, but this is a place of honest and true forgiveness, grace that never ceases to flow down from the cross and restore and redeem. If the leaders will hold fast to truth and if the leaders will hold fast to grace, then we reflect the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Eugene Peterson says, The word forgiveness has been watered down in our society. It frequently means no more than, I'll let it go this time. I won't let it bother me, but don't do it again. (laughs) It's often the verbal equivalent of a shoulder shrug. Do this, everybody. (laughs) Apathy. But in reality, it's a word that brims with vitality. Condemning is simply a reactionary response to an offense. Condoning is simply laziness, avoiding the difficulties in dealing with what's wrong. But forgiving is an immensely creative act, shaping both the person who forgives and the one who is forgiven. Friends, the church, the body of Christ, is characterized by forgiveness. So what if I told you that the church is a movement to bring the message of God's forgiveness to the world that he loves and has wandered far from him? Would you buy it? What if I told you this isn't just about us, this is a mission that we're on? The risen Lord Jesus said in Luke 24, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name to all nations, What will be preached? Repentance for what? Forgiveness of sins. To all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now we are told as Christians that the world is disinterested in forgiveness because they don't need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have no need to be forgiven. I'm not sure that's true. John Stott once wrote, forgiveness is an essential ingredient of salvation offered in the gospel. However unpopular this message may be today, forgiveness remains man's chief need and an indispensable part of the good news. You say, the people I know, they don't want forgiveness. The people that I know that I'm in conversations with as a Christian, they don't need forgiveness. That's not a felt need for my neighbor. Well, let me say this. They don't need forgiveness by first press. You follow? They don't need the Presbyterians downtown to forgive them. You see, that's not a great offer. (laughs) But the prospect of peace with God, the prospect of knowing forgiveness by God, 
of not living a life built up like a house of cards, propped up by the false congratulations and false assurances of all the people around me, but living a life built on the solid rock of the foundation of the word of God, true forgiveness found in Jesus Christ, that remains the chief need of any human soul. And we need to preach forgiveness. Christians, we are messengers of hope and of peace and of forgiveness. Don't give up. Penetrate those places of shame. People think we are saying, uh, I'll shrug my shoulders at you. I'll look away from, from the things that I think you've done wrong. I'll give you a chance to act right and join my successful community. Ugh. That is an awful message and a terrible offer. We say to someone there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ and, and the deceiver comes right along behind and whispers in their ear, now there's a self-righteous card in front of you. She just wants you to, to act like she acts, to do like she does. She wants you to be a goody-goody all the time so she can pull you into her church community and let me tell you, as soon as you get there, one false move and you'll be deeper in shame than ever you were before. Guard the message. Guard the apostolic deposit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Correct and clarify and boldly declare the truth of the gospel. It's not the forgiveness of the church we offer, but we are the church, the forgiven ones. We are sinners who have been forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ. And in Christ, we are forgiven. And that is good news, good news for all people. Let's pray. Lord, we are at work. We want to be urgently at work. We know the peace and the joy of your gospel in our lives, the truth of being forgiven and redeemed by your sacrifice on the cross, and we want others to know it. Lord, when we try to share forgiveness with others, there are other voices that come in. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to clearly declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is truth, Lord. There is a word of God. There is right and wrong, but there is forgiveness and grace, fathomless love, a father who loves and redeems. And Lord, we are recipients of that grace. Help us to clarify that message to the world around us. Lord, we, want, we don't want to sit here alone. We want to bring forgiveness to those whose consciences are seared as they wonder what foundations they've built their lives upon. Help us to speak Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at first-prez.org.